You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yo, yo, what is up? What is up? This is Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. And now I have a new title as the Director of Scouting for NBA Big Board. But before I get started today, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. And BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. Big thank you. Big, big thank you to everyone that has made Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day, especially today with all the post-Super Bowl coverage available at the moment. And I hope everyone had a fun Super Bowl Sunday. Now, for me, it was my childhood team, the Cincinnati Bengals. They were playing the L.A. Rams, so my Super Bowl Sunday did not end how I hoped, but... Thankfully, I am not really invested in football anymore. This was probably the first NFL game that I've watched in, I'd say, five or six years. I've spent some time in Europe and China, and it's hard to watch football over there. And I, mean, I guess you can if you really want to. I've, I find ways to watch basketball, but I just haven't really had an interest to watch football like that. And then I'd say after I saw the movie Concussion, it really changed how I view football and then I realized I, I must be getting older because even though the Bengals lost, I felt like they played well. You know, I feel like that mom after her son loses a basketball game and she's just like, oh, you know, he, he played well. He did a good job. He competed. I don't know. For whatever reasons, that is like how I feel. But the younger version of me would have been a totally different story. I would have been devastated. I would have definitely been one of those guys on social media, on Twitter, blaming Eli Apple and the offensive line for the loss. But thank God for growth. Thank God that I'm not really invested in football anymore. So I didn't lose an ounce of sleep, even though my team lost in the Super Bowl on a last second drive that, you know, the game could have went totally different. But I also feel like on one hand, the Bengals' touchdown in the second half was a, a, a missed call that it should not have counted anyway. But either way, like I say, thank God for growth. But speaking of growth, I announced on my social media platforms this weekend that I will be a father this summer. And this is my first child, so I'm super, super excited. Actually, I was telling my wife, like, why isn't there like this machine that I can like hook up like a, a ultrasound machine that I can just plug up into the TV and I can just watch the baby in like 4K and see what the baby's doing to her stomach? She thought it was hilarious, but I'm dead serious. Like, I mean, with all the technology going on, there should be a way where I can just watch my child chilling in the stomach and, and seeing them grow. But yeah, like I said, I'm super excited, as you can tell. The only downside of it is was that I was hoping that my wife and I could spend this entire basketball season together in Europe, and she would be able to share a lot of the traveling experiences with me. But she's going to stay here in the States, which, which makes the most sense for her to have the baby in the States. And and I will be going back and forth. So it looks like I'll, I'll be in Europe maybe three 
three weeks out of the month, anywhere between seven to ten days out of the month, I will come back because it's my first child and I want to make every single doctor appointment. My brother told me that the doctor's appointments are like five minutes sometimes. So I just don't want to miss out on anything and I'll, I'll be flying back and forth. And I know it sounds expensive, but it's actually not. It's actually not. Some of the international flights from Europe to Dallas literally cost about the same as some domestic flights within the U.S. Luckily, I live in Dallas, and there's a major airport. Now, if I lived in a city that did not have a major airport, it would be a little bit tough. But because Dallas is a major airport and it's a major hub for America Airlines, it's pretty easy to find flights that are a little bit affordable and some direct flights depending on where I'm going in Europe. I'm actually leaving in about 10 days. I'm going to the Adidas Next Generation Tournament. It's in Belgrade. Really looking forward to that, especially because the last one in Germany was canceled due to COVID. So I'm looking forward to, you know, just creating content or even just creating notes on some of the international prospects that will be in the 23 or 24 even 25 nba draft and speaking of draft i saw all the tweets about my future big board and some of them said that they know my 2041 draft board will feature my kid and i thought that was hilarious but right now we just do not know what we're having of course i'm a typical man and i would love a boy but if it's a boy or a girl, the main concern is I just want a healthy baby and I want my wife to have a smooth pregnancy and transition into motherhood. But if it is a boy, I'll be grooming him as my replacement at NBA Draft Junkies. And that's because with my height and my wife's height, it's pretty safe to say that my son, if I have a son did not hit the genetic lottery as far as NBA positional size. You know, I mean, at best, he'd be a second-round pick. But stranger things have happened because I have a friend that is 6'10", and his parents are 5'6 and 5'3". I thought it was really strange when I met his mom for the first time, and I said, well, man, how tall is your dad? And he laughed, and he said, oh, my dad is 5'6". And he's like 6'10", with like this ridiculous 7-foot four wingspan so stranger things have happened but that's like hitting the lottery all right let's talk NBA draft at this point in the season I am at a point where I've watched film and I have a profile page on my website for every player that I expect to get drafted and this year only 58 guys will be selected and that's due to some tampering or whatever. But I have 111 profiles on NBA Draft Junkies, so I should have everyone covered. Every year there's like some surprise. Usually that surprise pick is an international prospect, but thankfully that is an area that I'm pretty well versed in. I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time in Europe, so I shouldn't have any surprises, but stranger things have happened. And I started this process in August, so now I am back to watching film again on each of the prospects, and I just want to double-check and see if I missed something or if there's been some improvement or new concerns. The last thing I want to do is have someone go to my profile and they see it's outdated, and I say, oh, well, this player struggles with shooting, and you look up and you see the guy is shooting 48% from three. So I just wanted to double-check for accuracy purposes and... 
this is what I do. So it's, it's really not work. And now, in my opinion, I think there are three guys who have a legit shot at going number one. Some may say four, but I have three guys who I think could be the number one pick. And in this episode, what I wanted to do was give you an updated scouting report on Paolo Bancaro from Duke, Gonzaga's Chet Holmgren, and Auburn's Jabari Smith. All right, so I'll start with Duke's Paolo Bancaro. All right, here are the notes that I had on Bancaro coming into the season. I had him listed as a skilled, versatile offensive weapon, great frame, Strong physical presence, advanced ball handler for his size, good at attacking closeouts off the bounce, a face-up monster. He can dribble, shoot, or pass in face-up situations. I mentioned that he had an impressive pull-up game off the dribble, mid-post shot maker, effective low-post scorer. I thought that he had a good combination of bully ball and finesse, had him listed as a shot maker that can create off the dribble. Good passing instincts and vision, a capable three-point shooter, good at reading double teams, good at scoring in isolation, plays through contact, upside as a pick-and-roll playmaker and short-roll passer, potential as a pick-and-pop threat, and can possibly serve as the pick-and-roll ball handler or roll man and a rebound and run threat. Now, as far as areas of concern, I thought that he had a tendency to pick up his dribble, I thought that his shot was a little inconsistent. I had a little bit of concerns about his potential on the defensive end. I had him listed as a good but not great athlete. I thought he lacked quick twitch, explosiveness, and vertical pop. And to be honest, I feel like a lot of that is the same. Even though I thought that the athleticism would be an issue, I really don't think it's an issue. I think that he is a very good athlete and I'm at the point now where I'm starting to realize that we in the draft community and in NBA teams too just place such a huge value on athleticism and I know it's something that can't be taught but I'm starting to look at skill over athleticism I mean you can look at Luka Doncic and you can look at you know Nikola Jokic for example these are not great athletes by traditional standards, but their skill and IQ make up for what they lack in athleticism. And I think Bancaro is a better athlete than both of them. Not saying he's on their level of IQ and skill, but I think that he will be just fine. All right, I got to take a break, but when we return, I want to take a deeper dive into some of Bancaro's numbers. All right, it is February, which means some people have given up on their New Year's resolutions. But if you have, or if you have not, I want to talk to you about the new Built Bar Puffs. The Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallows. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, and they're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they are covered with 100% real chocolate. All Built Bars are covered with 100% real chocolate. Yes, that is including the Puffs. 100% real chocolate, low-calorie, high-protein. You can replace your candy bars with the Puffs because they are better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. And if you go to build.com and if you scroll down to the macros chart, I can guarantee you that you will be blown away. They're high protein, low calories, high fiber, low carbs, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. And that is 
what pretty much what most built bars contain. So if you compare that to a candy bar, it's usually 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. I'm telling you, check it out. Just check it out for yourself. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order or just your, your first order, your last order. 15% off. So use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off at built.com and at Built Bar. It's all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first. And then they figure out how to make it healthy. And if you don't know, now you know. Once again, thank you. Thank you so much for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. And in this case, I am honored that my show is on Monday, so it could be your first listen of the week. But for your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast. The Locked On Now podcast gives you nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. It is free and it is available wherever you get your podcast. I know for me, I've spent the majority of this season in Europe and the games come on in the middle of the night. And so while I'm missing the games, I can just tune in to the Locked On Now podcast and I can get the excellent recaps and analysis from my Locked On team. So check it out, Locked On Now. All right, you're listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is your boy, Rafael Barlow. And before I get into Paolo Bancaro's analytics and do a deep dive, I wanted to add that he's averaging nearly one block and one steal per game this season. And that is despite being seen as the weakest defender or the defender with the least upside out of Holmgren and Smith. So just wanted to add that little nugget. But let's take a look at his stats from an analytical perspective. Like I said, he's shooting 47.6% from the floor, but he has an effective field goal percentage of 51.4. He's turning the ball over on 14% of his possessions, which is, you know, it's one of the areas that concerns me a little bit. But the majority of his possessions this season have come in isolation, which is like 19.3% of his possessions. And he's shooting 45% in isolation, which, according to Synergy, ranks as very good in the top 65 percentile in college basketball. His next most effective way to score, I should say, is in the post. He's posting up on about 18% of his possessions and he's shooting 43% in the post, which is ranked in the top 71 percentile. As far as transition, this is a little bit concerning. He is only ranked in the top, I shouldn't even say top 35, but he's only ranked in the 35 percentile in scoring in transition. And that is something I usually pay a lot of attention to is because I think transition are easy buckets, and I like to figure out how guys are going to get easy buckets. I think the reason why his, I shouldn't even say I think, the reason why his transition numbers are low is because he has the tendency to spot up and shoot threes. I'm personally not a really big fan of guys that shoot threes in transition unless you are like a sniper, unless you are someone that is not a great athlete and your job is to literally space the floor and transition so the rim runner can can have the lane. So I'm not a big fan of guys that shoot threes in transition, like I said, unless you're a sniper. So one of the reasons why his percentage is low 
in transition is because he's shooting threes. He's only making 47% of his attempts in transition, but he's making 52.8% if you count the adjusted field goal percentage, which counts the threes. Now, the area where Bancaro has been really, really effective at is as a cutter. Now, it's only 9.8% of his possessions, but he's shooting 83% as a cutter and ranked in the top 92 percentile. He's also been really effective on the offensive glass, shooting 65% on offensive rebound putbacks. And he scored 35 points off offensive rebound putbacks this season, which is about 1.3 points per possession, and he's ranked in the top 84 percentile. Now, here's the area that concerns me probably the most. So when you heard me talk about what I had him, how I had him coming into the season, I thought that he was a really advanced pick-and-roll ball handler, and I thought that Duke would use him a little bit more as the pick-and-roll ball handler. And so far this season, only 5% of his possessions have been as the pick-and-roll ball handler, and he has been pretty bad. He's 6 out of 18 as the pick-and-roll ball handler. And the reason is, and I actually watched every pick-and-roll ball handler possession that he's had this season, and it's because he settles for too many jumpers. Now, I think that could change in the NBA with more spacing, but I personally would love to see him use his size and strength and attack more downhill. He just has the tendency to, when he is the pick-and-roll ball handler, he settles for off-the-dribble pull-ups, which is part of his bread and butter, something that he's really good at, but they're all contested shots. While with his athleticism and strength and coordination, I just think that he could put a lot more pressure on defenders and pressure the rim if he looked to get downhill as the pick-and-roll ball handler. And then another area that I think will improve in the NBA is Duke has only used him as the pick-and-roll man on 16 possessions this season. So he's only had 23 as the pick-and-roll ball handler and 16 as the pick-and-roll roll man. Now, in my opinion, I think those are going to be two of the two of the weapons that he'll be able to utilize more in the NBA. And even as the pick-and-roll roll man, he's only shooting 38% from the floor. Now, he does pop on quite a few, quite a few of those opportunities. And if you're looking at synergy, they don't really, at least in their play types, they have it all listed under pick-and-roll man. They don't break it down to pick-and-pops until you go further down the screen. But he's shooting 53.8%. as That's his effective field goal percentage when he is the roll man. So let's just take another look into jump shots. He's shooting 39.7% on jumpers. Now in the half court, that takes up about 43% of his attempts, which is I, I like the balance there. There's some guys that when they're in the half court, only thing they're doing is shooting jumpers. Now, around the basket, he's been good, and this is non-post-ups. He's shooting 60% from the floor on non-post-ups around the rim. And then overall, if you include the post-ups, he's shooting about 66% at, at the rim. Now, as far as his overall just post-ups period, like I said, 43%, which is its average is in the top, or it's in the 43rd percentile. Now, here's where I think that is underrated. He is very efficient in catch-and-shoot situations in the half court. He's shooting 43% in catch-and-shoot situations. Now, when he's guarded, 
it's about 30%. But when he's left unguarded, he's ranked in the top 90 percentile, and he's shooting 51% in catch-and-shoot situations. But you include the threes, it's 75.8% adjusted field goal percentage. We all know that shooting off the dribble is his bread and butter. He's shooting about 37.8% on pull-up jumpers, which is ranked in a 56 percentile. So overall... I like what I've seen out of him this year. Just the biggest area of concern for me is the lack of attempts as a pick-and-roll ball handler and and pick-and-roll man when I think that that is going to be, like I said, a major piece to his scoring puzzle once he gets into the NBA. Football season might be over, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fire coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best, the absolute best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it is not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online is where the game starts. So Ben Carroll and Chet Holmgren have flip-flopped a couple times this season as the number one player on my board. Chet came into the season number one, then Ben Carroll passed him, and then Chet's play of late has pushed him back to number one. But I have to ask myself, is this about the level of competition that Chet is facing? Because Bancaro or even Jabari Smith are facing much stiffer competition, and I'm not knocking Gonzaga's opponents, but let's just be honest here. They're not ACC or SEC level competition, and Chet's not facing those guys every night. But Chet is currently averaging 14 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3.3 blocks per game. And coming into the season, here are my notes that I had on Chet. I had he was agile and coordinated and a good athlete for his size. Very skilled, seven-footer, good shooting touch. I had him as a three-point sniper, which I wouldn't have labeled him as a sniper the first month of the season. He is the rare seven-footer that is comfortable and can dribble, shoot, and pass. He can attack closeouts. He's a pick-and-pop threat. Good passer with good passing instincts. He can play the four, the five, maybe even in a special lineup, a team could just use him as a floor spacer, as a three. That was what I had in my notes at the time. And then what I loved most is that even though he is skinny, he has some grit to his game. He's a shot blocker, excellent rim protector, plays hard. He rebounds. I liked his upside as a pull-up shot maker off the dribble, and I was impressed with the fact that he shot 53% from three at the under-19 World Cup. And then my concerns were the obvious, skinny. I thought that he would struggle with physicality, thought that he hit the floor too much, and I felt like his free throw percentage should be a lot better considering he's such a good shooter. And then here's another concern that I had that I still kind of see a little bit, is that even though he has the fluidity and athletic athleticism, to 
be a really, really good rim runner. He doesn't always sprint the floor, and that's because he prefers to shoot threes in transition, which he is very deadly at that, which you know I've seen as the season has gone on. So I'm still kind of iffy on that, especially how I just mentioned that I didn't like how Mancaro shoots threes in transition. But Chet is a, a better shooter, and he is as the trailer at the top of the key. He is a sniper from three. Now, let's take a look at Chet's numbers based off of synergy. First of all, let's just get right to the chase. He is ranked in the top 99 percentile in college basketball as far as his efficiency. He's averaging 1.2 points per possession. He's shooting 64% from the floor with an adjusted field goal percentage of 73.4. Totally ridiculous. All right, the majority of his possessions, believe it or not, are coming in transition. And that is because he's basically the trailer, but this is, I'm gonna just brace you. This is probably one of the most ridiculous stats that I've ever heard of. He's shooting 75% from the floor in transition, which is obviously great. But his adjusted field goal percentage is 95.5 so when he is trailing and like i mentioned he's a sniper from three i mean he's an absolute weapon in transition the second largest piece of the pie to his play types is as a spot up and spot up is not only catch and shoot jumpers but it is when he is spotting up and he's attacking off the dribble and he is shooting 41.9 percent from the floor but when you factor in the threes, it goes up to 58.1. And despite him being skinny, and I've made the joke that he can hula hoop through a Cheerio and do push-ups under the door crack, I questioned his, not, I never questioned his toughness, but I did question if he could post up because he's so skinny and, handle, and handling physicality. And 15% of his possessions this season are in the post. And he's been effective. He's averaging over a point per possession. He's ranked in the top 82nd percentile in post scoring. And he's shooting 57.1% on post ups. So even though I don't know he's going to get post touches in the NBA and there are concerns about his weight, he has been very effective posting up when he does get the opportunity. And 15% of his possessions in the post is not, it's not a really small sample size. Chet is also very effective as a cutter. He's ranked in the top 92nd percentile. He's shooting 85% on cuts to the rim. Love the fact that he understands how to move without the basketball. He knows how to make himself available at the dunker spot. And then this goes back to me talking about him playing with grit and toughness. He gets nine, actually 9% of his possessions in the half court are offensive rebound putbacks, which, you know, those are effort plays. I really love guys that play with effort, and sometimes I look at offensive rebounds as an indicator of energy and effort. And Chet is 16 for 17 from the floor, which is 94.1% for those that aren't great at math. But he is in the top 99 percentile in offensive rebound putbacks. Shooting 94 percent is impressive, even if it's from the free throw line. Now, here's a little bit of a concern that I think that the numbers will go up once he's in the NBA. Is that he's getting about a little under 7 percent of his possessions as the pick and roll man. 
and he's only six for 15. So he's only shooting 40% as the role man. But I wonder how much of that has to do with spacing because if he's on the floor with Timmy, Timmy's not a floor spacer, so there's not a lot of room to score as the role man. And I can say the same for Bancaro playing with Mark Williams. All right, let's take a, a deeper dive. Now, in the half court, 36% of his attempts are jump shots, and that's where he's shooting 34% on jumpers. And then the other big piece of the pie is around the basket, and he is shooting 85% around the rim, which is 53 out of 62. So about 43% of his possessions in the half court come just around the basket. That includes cuts, lobs. And then the other 19% of the breakdown is when he posts up, and he's, he's been effective in the post. Now, as far as Chet and catch-and-shoot situations, he's shooting 36% in catch-and-shoot situations, which is about 30% of his jump shots is catch-and-shoot. Then here's a, something that I had on my notes that I thought that he had potential, and he hasn't really shown it. But in the half court, he it's only 5% of the jumpers, but he's taken seven pull-up jumpers off the dribble, and he's only made one, one out of seven. So that breaks down to about 14% there. But overall, Chet has been very, very impressive and effective and efficient. And, I mean, it's very hard to not talk about him as the number one player and of course, some may say, well, the numbers are somewhat kind of inflated because he's going up against competition that is not as strong as the other guys. But I haven't even talked about his defense. The 3.3 blocks per game is is incredible. All right, next, wrapping up, I got to talk about the last player. Not last as in ranked last, but the the final player in my tier one chart. And it is Auburn's Jabari Smith. And I'll be honest, I did not have Jabari Smith as a top three pick coming into the season. And if you, you know what, I'm just going to read you my notes. And this is why I have to go back and look at my notes again and make some changes. So here are my notes on Jabari Smith coming into the season. I have him as agile and skilled. He can put the ball on the floor. He's fluid, good ball handler in the open court, runs the floor, high upside as a shooter, potential as a rebounder, run threat, pick and pop guy, good handle for a big, has an NBA role as a floor spacer that can attack closeouts and run the floor. And I put that I was impressed with his ability to glide down the floor. Now, this is where I, I get myself in a little bit of trouble here and why I need to update my site. And my biggest concerns are areas for improvement. I thought that, I'll just read my notes to you. I had skinny, struggles finishing through contact, settles for too many jumpers, either shoots a three, face up or drive. I questioned his motor. I questioned his toughness. I said that he was allergic to the paint, needs to tighten his handle, floats around on the perimeter too much only drives right, fluid and agile but not explosive, needs to work on his passing, has a weird set shot, finishes below the rim, and he rarely dunks. Now, some of that is still true, but what 
makes me want to change that is that what he's good at, he's really good at. I don't really question the motor anymore. I don't question the toughness. I think that when he was younger, he was more so allergic to the paint because he wasn't strong enough. But now that his body is filling out and he's getting stronger, he's definitely posting up a whole lot more than he did when I watched him play for like the Atlanta Celtics. I think that's who he's playing with. All right. Now I just want to take a deep dive into his analytics. All right. Now of the three guys that I have in my tier one, Jabari is the least efficient from the floor. He's only shooting 43% from the floor with an adjusted field goal percentage of 51.6. He's ranked in the top 76 percentile in college basketball in efficiency. Now he is elite in spot-up situations, which a large chunk of his possessions, actually 25%, are in spot-ups. And again, spot-ups is catch-and-shoot opportunities. It's when you attack the closeout, and he is ranked in the top 94 percentile there, which is a rating of excellent according to Synergy, has a field goal percentage of 45.8 and an adjusted field goal percentage of 62. He's scoring in isolation, 16% of his possessions are in isolation, where he's shooting about 39% from the floor in transition. He's shooting 46% from the floor with an adjusted field goal percentage of 55.1. He posts up on 10% of his possessions, and he is shooting 44% from the post. As the role man, which he rolls a little bit more than everyone else, and this is where he's really effective at he's shooting 46 percent as the role man but then again like i mentioned the role man according to synergy and pops are put together and he is shooting 58.9 percent so he is a big time pick and pop threat now here's what's concerning to me chet and paulo are very effective in scoring as cutters jabari has not been it's only 6% of his possessions, but he is only 7 of 16 on cuts to the basket. That is pretty concerning. And then only 2.9% of his possessions are on offensive rebound putbacks. So when I question motor and toughness, this was something that I saw. I don't have the same concerns, but I didn't feel like he had the same activity around the glass. Now, some of this could be because he's playing with let me get this right walker kessler i keep wanting to call him kessler walker so i have to slow down but that is something that concerns me only three percent of his possessions are offensive rebounds and putbacks all right if you take a deeper look into his shot attempts in the half court 67 percent are jump shots so not a whole lot of variety there and he is shooting 39 percent on jump shots in the half court Around the basket, non-post-ups, 55%, and he's shooting 44% on post-ups. As far as catch-and-shoot situations, very good. 41.3% is the field goal percentage. 58.7% is the adjusted field goal percentage. Now, when he's unguarded, he's lights out. He is shooting 66.7%. And what's weird is he's missed shots, but when you factor in the adjusted field goal percentage, it puts him at 100%. Now, he, I, how can I say this? I On paper, you think that Bancaro is the best shooter off the dribble. But Jabari takes a, a large percent of his shots in the half court 
as pull-up jumpers, and he's shooting 38.4%. If you would have told me coming into the season who was the better pull-up shooter off the dribble between Chet or Jabari, I would have went with Chet, but I've been wrong. I mean, Chet is only one for seven, while Jabari is 28 out of 73. So that kind of gives you a, a little deeper dive into the numbers as far as analytics goes. And right now, I'd have to say that Jabari has been the biggest surprise. And, I mean, based off of what I read to you in my notes, that, I mean, he's made the biggest jump. I thought he was a top 10 pick, but I did not have him in my top tier or in my tier one. Well, that wraps up this episode of Locked On NBA Draft. Now make your second or your third. Just make Locked On Bets one of your listens for the day. It is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It is free and it is available wherever you get your podcast. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and NBA Big Board. Actually, check out NBA Big Board today. Later on today, I will have my first article. It is my locked i'm sorry my nba big board debut i'm doing the mock draft but it will be the lottery but i'm giving a breakdown on the players and how they fit with each team so check it out nbabigboard.com it will be dropping later on today once again it's rafael nba draft junkies nba big board i am out